Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hound of the Baskervilles by A. Colin Doyle Chapter 14 The Hound of the Baskervilles One of Sherlock Holmes' defects, if indeed one can call it a defect, was he was exceedingly loath to communicate his full plans to any other person till the instant of their fulfilment. Partly came, no doubt, from his own masterful nature, which loved to dominate and surprise those who were around him. Partly also from his professional caution, which urged him never to take any chances. The result, however, was very trying for those who were acting as his agents' assistants. Had often suffered under it, but never more so than during the long drive in dark, the darkness. A great ordeal was in front of us. At last we were about to make our final effort, and yet Holmes had nothing I could only surmise his course of action would be, my nerves thrilled with a tipitation, when at last the cold wind upon our faces and dark void spaces on either side of the narrow road told me he was, we were back upon the moor once again. Every stride of the horses, every turn on the wheels, had taken us nearer to our supreme adventure. Our conversation was hampered by the presence of the driver in the high-end wagonette, so we were forced to talk of trivial matters. When our nerves were tense, the emotion of temptation was a relief to me after the unnatural restraint. When we had last passed Franklin's house, we... I knew we were drawing near the hall to hall to see the action. We did not drive up to the door, but got down near the, the gate of the avenue. Wagonette was paid off and ordered to return to Coombe Tracy forthwith, while we started to walk to Merripit House. Are you armed, Estrade? The little deputy smiled. As long as I have my trousers, I have a hip pocket. As long as I have my hip pocket, I have something in it. Good. My friend and I are ready for emergencies. You're mighty close about this affair. Mr. Holmes, what's the game now? A waiting game. A word did not seem a very cheerful place. The detective was shiver, glancing round him at the gloomy slopes of the hill and at the huge lake of fog which lay over the Gimpton Mare. See the lights of the house ahead of us. There's a mare and pit house, the end of our journey. Most quest you walk on tiptoe and not talk above a whisper. We moved cautiously along the track as if we were bound for the house. For Holmes halted us when we were about two hundred yards from it. This will do, said he. These rocks look upon the right. Make an admirable screen. We have to wait. Are we are to wait here? Yes, we shall make our little ambush here. Get into this hollow, Lestrade. You're inside the house, have you not? Watson, can you tell the position of rooms? What are those lattice windows at this end? Think of the kitchen windows, and one beyond which shines so brightly as certainly the dining room. The blinds are up, you know the lie of the lamb best. 
Creep forward quietly. See what they're doing. But for heaven's sake, don't let them know they are watched. I took down the path and stooped behind a low wall which surrounded a stunted orchard. Orchard. Keeping in its shadow, I reached a point whence I could look straight through the uncertain window. There were only two men in the room, Sir Henry and Stapleton. They sat there with their profiles towards me, on either side of the round table. Both of them were smoking cigars and coffee and wine. Were in front of them, Stapleton were talking of emanation. The baronet looked pale and distraught. Perhaps the thought of the lonely walk across the ill-omened moor was weighing heavily upon his mind. As I watched them, Stapleton rose and left the room, while Sir Henry filled his glass again and leaned back in his chair, puffing his cigar. I heard the creak of a door and the crisp sound of boots upon gravel. The steps passed along the path. On the other side of the wall, under which I crouched late after. Looking over, I saw the naturalist pause a door of an outhouse in the corner of the orchard. A key turned in the lock, and as he passed in there, a curious scuffling noise from wind. He was only a minute or so inside, but then I heard a key turn once more. He passed me, and we re-entered the house. I saw him rejoin his guests. I crept quietly back to where my companions were waiting to tell them what I'd seen. You say, Watson, that the lady's not there? Holmes asked. I finished my report. No. Where can she be then? Since there's no light in any other room except the kitchen. I cannot where she is. I said that over. The great Grimpton mare. It hung a dense white fog. It was drifting slowly. Direction banked itself like a wall on that side of us. Low but thick and well defined. The moon shone on it. It looked like a great shimmering ice field. The heads of the distant tours of rocks bore upon its surface. Holmes' face was turned towards it. He muttered impatiently as he watched its sluggish drift. It's moving towards us, Watson. Is that serious? Very serious indeed. The only thing upon earth which could derange, disarrange my plans. He can't be very dependent upon his coming out. For the fog is over the path. Night is clear and fine above us. The stars shone cold and bright, like a half moon bathed in the whole scene, a soft, uncertain light. For us lay the dark bulk of the house, its serrated roof and bristling chimneys, hard outlined against a silver spangled sky. Broad bars of gold light from those flower windows stretched across the orchard and the moor. One of them was sunny shut off. The servants had left the kitchen. They only made a lamp in the dining room, where the two men, the murderous hosts, and conscious guests, still chattered over their cigars. Every minute that white woody plain, which covered half one half of the moor, was drifting closer, closer to the house. Already the first thin wisp they were curling across the golden square, a lighted window. Furthermore, the orchard was already invisible. He was staying out the swell, white vapour, and he watched the fog wreaths came crawling around round both corners of the house and rolled slowly into one dense bank which the other floor the roof floated like a strange ship upon a shadowy sea. Holmes stuck his hand passionately upon the rock in front of us and stamped his feet in, a patient, in, in his impatience. 
Pheasant is out in the quarter of an hour and the path will be covered. Half an hour we won't be able to see our hands in front of us. Shall we move further back upon higher ground? Yes, I think it should be I think it'd be as well. So the far bank flowed and would we fell back till we were were half a mile past the still that that dense white sea, moon shivering its upper edge, swept slowly and inveterably on. We are going too far, said Holmes. We dare not take the chance of being overtaken before he can reach us. At all costs, we must hold our ground where we are. He dropped on his knee and clapped his ear to the ground. Thank God I hear him. Think they, that I can hear him coming. The sound of quick steps broke the silence of the moor. Crouching among the stones, we stared intently in a silver-tipped blank in front of us. The steps grew louder. And through the fog, as though for a curtain, they set the man for whom we were waiting. Looked around in surprise as he emerged in the clear starlit night. They came swiftly along the path, past close, past close to where we lay, went on up to the long slope behind us. As he walked, he glanced continually over, over each shoulder like a man who is at ill ease. Cried Sir Holmes. I heard the slack click of a cocking pistol. Look out, it's coming. Then there was a thin, crisp, continuous patter from somewhere in the heart of that crawling bank. The cloud was in the where we lay. We glared at it, all three in a sudden what horror about to break from the heart of it. I was at Holmes' elbow, face, his pale and exuberant, his eyes shining brightly in the moonlight. As suddenly they started forward, a rigid, fixed stare, his lips parted in amazement. The same instant the straw gave a yell of terror and threw himself face downward upon the ground. I ran to my feet, my inert hand, grasping my pistol, my pistol, my mind paralyzed, by the dreadful shape which he had sprung upon us from the shadows of the fog. A hound was an enormous, cold, black hound, but not much such a hound as mortal eyes have ever seen. By a burst from its open mouth, his eyes glowed with smouldering glare. It glare, his muzzle and hackles and de lap were outlined in flickering flame. Never a delirious dream of a disordered brain could anything more savage, more appalling, more hellish be conceived than a dark form, that savage face which broke up upon us out of the wall of fog. The long bounds, the huge creek, black creature, creature was leaping down the track, followed hard upon the footsteps of our friend. So paralyzed were we by the apparition. We allowed him to pass before he recovered our nerve. We recovered our nerve. Then Holmes and I both figured together, fired together. The creature gave a howl, hideous howl, which slowed that the one which showed that one at least had hit him. He didn't pause, however, but bounded onward. Far away in the path we saw Sir Henry looking back, face white in the moonlight, his hands raised in horror, glaring helplessly at the frightful thing which was hunting him down. A cry of pain for the hound had blown all our fears to the winds. If he were vulnerable, he was mortal. If he could wound him, we could kill him. Never have I seen a man run as Holmes ran that night. I reckon feet or foot, but he outpaced me. I am, I am reckoned at feet of foot, but he outpaced me, much as I outpaced a little professor. In front of us we flew up a track, we heard scream after scream, the Henry deep roar of the hound, 
was in time to see the beast spring upon its victim, hurl him to the ground and worry at his throat. The next instant Holmes had emptied five barrels of his vulgar into the creature's flank. A last howl of agony, a vicious snap in the air. It rolled upon its back four feet, pawing furiously, then fell limp upon its side. I stooped panting and pressed my pistol to a dreadful shivering head. But it was useless to press the trigger. The great hound was dead. So Henry lay insensible, where he had fallen. We tore away his collar. Holmes breathed of gratitude. We saw that it was a no son of wound. Rescue had been in time. Already our friend's eyelids shivered, and he made a favourable attempt to move. Dried thrust his whiskey flask between the turret's teeth, and two frightened eyes were looking up at us. Oh my God, he was. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Heavens, was it? He's dead well over it is, said Holmes. We lay the family ghost once and forever. The mere size and strength of this terrible creature, which was lying stretched before us, is not a pure bloodhound. It is not a pure mastiff. It appeared to be a combination of two gaunt, savage, and large as a small lioness. Even now, in the stillness of death, the huge jaws seemed to be dripping with blush flame as the small set. Deep set cool eyes, a ring with fire, I placed upon my, my hand upon the glowing muzzle. As I held them up to my own finger up to my own fingers, smothered and gleamed in the darkness, phosphorus, I said, cutting preparation for it, said Holmes, sniffing at the dead animal. There's no smell which might have interfered with his with his feared with his power of scent. We owe you a deep apology, Sir Henry, for your, who exposed you to this fright. We are prepared for a hound, but not such a creature as this. If I gave us some little time to receive him, you have saved my life, have him first endangered it. Are you strong enough to stand? Give me anything. Give me them for all that brandy. I shall be ready for anything. So now, if you will help me up, what do you propose to do? To leave you here. You will not fit the further adventure tonight. If you will wait, one of the uh, other of us, one of us, one or other of us, go back to, with you to the hall. Try to stagger his feet, but he still goes his pounds trembling in every limb. We held him back to the rock where he sat shivering, his face buried in hands. You must leave there, you now. We must leave you now, said Holmes. The rest of our work must be done. Every moment is of importance. We have our case. Now we have, oh, oh, we only want our man. Thousand to one against our finding him at the house, he continued. We traced our steps swiftly down the path. The shots must have told him that the game was up. We are some we are some difference off and his fog may have reddened them. We allowed followed the hound to call it off. So what so that so that you can maybe certain no, it's gone by this time, but we search the house and make sure. The 
front door was open, so he rushed in and hurried from room to room to amazement of doddering old men suddenly. He managed the passage, no light save in the dining room. A home's called up with a lamp, and left no corner, a house unexplored. No sign could we see the man whom we were chasing. On the upper floor, however, one of the bedroom doors was locked. There's someone in there here, cried his guard. I can hear a movement. Open his door. Faint moaning rustling came from the wind in. Holmes shut the door just over the lock with a flat of his hand, foot. Flew open, pistol in hand. We all three rushed into the room. There was a sign within it of that desperate and defiant villain for whom we expected to see. Instead, we were faced by an object that was so strange, so unexpected, we stood for a moment staring at it in amazement. The room had been fashioned a small museum. Walls were lined by a number of glass-topped glasses cases full of that collection of butterflies and moths formation which had been relaxation of this complex and dangerous man in the centre of his room there was an upright beam which had placed at some period as support for the old worm eaten bulk or timber which spanned the roof to this post a figure was tied so swayed and muffled in sheets which had been used to secure it one could not for a moment tell whether it was that of a man or woman one tell passed around the throat and was secured at the back of the pillar. Another covered the bow a part of the face and over it two dark eyes. Plus eyes full of grief and shame and dreadful questioning stared back at us. In a minute we used to tore off the gag and swayed the bonds and misstapled them, sank upon the floor in front of us. His beautiful head fell upon the chest. I saw the clear red veil of whiplash across the neck. The brute, cried Holmes, there of the shroud. The bandy bottle, put her in a chair. She has fainted from the ill usage of exhaustion. She opened eyes again. Is it is he safe? she asked. Has he escaped? He cannot escape us, madam. No, no, it is not lament. I did not mean my husband, Sir Henry. He's safe, yes. And how? It is dead. She gave a long sigh of satisfaction. Thank God, thank God, oh this villain. See how he's treated me. She shut her, her arms out with her sleeves. Saw the horror, all mottled with bruises. This is nothing, nothing. It is my mind and soul that is tortured and defiled. I could enjoy it all, all the ill uses, solitude, a life of deception, everything. As long as I could still cling on to hope, I did love. But no, no. And in all this also, being his dupe, his tool, suddenly broken and passionate, sobbing of her as she spoke. You hear him, you bear him no good will, madam. Said Holmes, tell us when we were where we should find him. If we ever, if you have ever aided him in evil, help us now and so atone. There is but one, no, one place where he can have fled. She answered, there is an old tin mine on an island in the heart of Mare. It is where he kept his hound, and where also he had made preparations. We might have a refuge. It's, that is where he might fly. The fog bank lay like a white wall against the window. Holmes held the lamp towards it. See, said he, no one could find his way into that Gimpton Moor tonight. She laughed and clapped her hands. Her eyes and teeth gleamed with fierce merriment. He may not he may not find his way in, but never out, she cried. How can we see the gliding wands tonight? He plotted them together, he and I, to mark the pathway which through the mire. Oh, if I could only have plucked them out today, when indeed you would have had him at your mercy. It's evident to us that all pursuit was in vain till the fog had lifted. Meanwhile, we left the strada possession of the house. 
while Holmes and I went back with the baronet of Baskerville Hall. Diana Stapleton had no longer been withheld from him. He took the bow bravely. We learned the truth about the woman who he loved. The shock of the night's adventures had shut his nerves. Before morning, he lay delirious in high fever under care of Dr. Mortimer. The two of them were destined to travel together round the world before Sir Henry had become once more the hale, hearty man had been before he became master of that ill-omened estate. Now I come rapidly to the conclusion of this singular narrative, in which I have tried to make the sense share those dark fears and make surmises which clouded a life so long and ended in so tragic a manner. On the morning after the death of the hound, the fog lifted, we were guided by Smith Stapleton to the point where we, they found a pathway through the fog, helped us to realise the horror of this woman's life, where we saw the eagerness and joy which she laid us on her husband's track. We left her stranding upon the thin peninsula of firm peach soil, which tempered out, tapered out into widespread fog. Fog, but the end of it, a small wand planted here, and then showed where the bush zigzagged from tuft to tuft of rushes along as green scum pits and fell quagmires, and barred the way to a stranger. Rank weeds and lush, limy water plants sent an odour of decay and heavy misomanic vapour onto our faces while well, a full step plunged us more than once to find deep into the dark quivering mire we shook for a, y- a yard in soft undulations round our feet his t- t- tenderest grip plucked at our heels as we walked then we walked, sank into it as if we were some malignant hand as if some malignant hand was tugging us down to those obscene depths so grim but personal touch in which he held us. Once only we saw a trace as someone passed that perilous way for us. From amid a tuft of cotton grass which bore it up out of the slime here a dark thing was projecting. Holmes sank to his rest race as he stepped from the pile to seize it. He, and we did not had we not been there to drag him out, he could have never set his foot upon the firm land again. He held on to the long black boot in the air. Monsieur Toto is pretty on the leather inside his worth, and by bath, said he, it is our friend Sir Henry's missing boot, thrown there by a statement in his, his flight. Exactly, he retained it to his hand after using it to set the hand, hound upon the track. He fled when he saw the game was up, still clutching it. He held it away at this point of his flight. He knew at least he came so far, so far in safety. But now more than that, we were never destined to know. Though there's much which we might surmise, no chance of finding footsteps in the mire. The rising mud oozed swiftly in upon them. As we at last reached firmer ground beyond the morasses, we all looked eagerly for them. But no slightest, no slightest sound of them, sign of them, ever, ever met our eyes. If the earth told us true story, David never reached that island of refuge to wolves which struggled through the fog upon the last night. So in the heart of a great to mare, down in fell slime, huge morasses, which they sucked him in, in, in his cold and cool-hearted man, is forever buried. Many traces we found of him, the bog-grit island, where he had hid his savage ally. A huge dreary wheel, a shaft half-filled rubbish showed the position of man and mine. 
Beside it was the crumbling remains of cottages. The miners driven away to no doubt by the foul reek surrounding swamp. In one of a stable and chain with its quality gnawed bones showed where the animal had been confined. Skeleton with tangled brown hair adhering to it lay along the debris. A dog, said home. My Jove, a curly-haired spaniel, Paul Mortimer, will never see his pet again. Well, I do not know what this place contains in his late secrets, which we have not already confirmed. He could, he could hide his hound, but he could not hush his voice. Its voice. Hence came those cries, which even in daylight were not pleasant to hear. I know mercy he had kept the hound in the outhouse in Maripolpit. But there's always a risk. It's only on the supreme day which he regarded as the end of it all, his efforts that he dared to do it. This place in a tin is no doubt the luminous mixture which the creature dabbed, suggested of course by the story of family hound, by desire to frighten old Charles to the death. No wonder the poor devil had a, a, a conflict ran and screamed, even as I friended, as we ourselves might have done, when we find such a creature banning from the darkness a more upon its track. Is a cunning device, for apart from the chance of driving your victim to his death, what pleasant adventure to acquire too closely to such a creature should they get sight of it, as many have done upon the moor. I said it in London, Watson, I say again now, you never yet have we helped to hunt down more dangerous man who we, who's lying yonder. He slept, wept, slept his long arm, Towards a huge mottled expanse of green splotched bog, which stretched upon again to emerge into the rustic slopes of the moor. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.